We're going to play a game called, Is It Worth It? Okay? Is it? It's, it's a little bit. A little bit. We just want to know what your opinions. And this is a game that's going to help us start talking about the um, topic. I love Morgan's enthusiasm. Um, <laughs> is it worth it? And you, in this game, have to give something up in order to get something else. And you have to decide if the sacrifice is going to be worth what you get. Okay? Now, which side is which? Okay, if it is not worth it, you're going to go over here. Okay? If it is worth it, you're going to go over there. So you have to move your bodies in the direction of what you think. Is it worth it? Yes. Is it not worth it? Over here. Now, you can encourage them in their answers. And so you can go like this if you want them to go into the not worth it side, okay? Or you can go like this. And then that will encourage them to move that way. But they have to decide, is the sacrifice going to be worth it? Okay. Would you stand on one leg for half an hour being utterly quiet the whole time? You see the challenge? For a gift card. Oh, worth it? Worth it? Worth, not worth it. Well, how much money? Oh, what is a gift card? What, you're in the not worth it side, Taylor? You're not even going to try it? Okay. The gift card is, okay, the gift card is a $5 gift card. $10, it's really 10, it's 20. It's $25 gift card. It's a 25 not worth it, Garrison? Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Now, this is the next one. Would you give up all your money for the next 20 years for an education that in 20 years will give you a good paying job? Give up all your money? Worth it? No, but you're going to get money and you have to give it up when you get it. But then you wouldn't have a house? You don't have a house. Your parents have houses. 20 years you need to live by yourself? Good luck. Now that is really, an, okay, worth it, not worth it. You know, that is an adulting question that will come to you someday if you want to go to college. Okay, would you, okay, this is a good one. Would you give up your cell phone for as long as you are in school we're talking middle school, high school, college, graduate school, give up your cell phone all that time in order to get guaranteed A's and B's. Worth it? Really? Not worth it? Not worth it. Naya, you're in the not worth it side. Garrison is in the worth it side because he doesn't have a cell phone. It's easy for him. All right. Okay, now this is going to be a hard one. Would you die young for a million dollars right now? A, mil, a million dollars right now. Do you want the money? Wait, wait, but if you die, how are you going to get the money? Oh, well, die, well, you would get the money right this minute. Right this minute, a million dollars, and you would die at age 30. Now, that's kind of old. No. I, can, I can make more than a million dollars. Oh, you can. Years. 30 years. 
years? Okay. Well, what about if you died at the age of 50? That's kind of old. Million dollars for 50 years? No. no? How about if you die for sure, for sure, you're going to die at 80? 80? 80 is what? Really? There's not a lot you can do after 80. There's a lot. Okay. All right. All right. Good. 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 Okay. Would you give up your life for your parents if it was you or them? No, Garrison says it's not worth it. <laughs> but no, Naya, you're coming over here. I thought for sure Deborah would be saved because Naya's going to do it. She's going to give up her. Like, My parents have accomplished a lot. <laughs> oh, oh, it's your turn now. Okay. Would you give up your life for your sibling? For your sibling, they have... <laughs> what? Oh, Alex. Yes, he has two siblings. He would give up... Oh, everybody note this day. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Now, we come to the question that the passage in our Bible is going to ask. And Jesus has asked it of his disciples, and he's going to ask it of us now. All these years later. Would you give up you? Control over your decisions? Going your own direction? Doing what you desire? Making your own decisions based on what you want? Would you say no to yourself? Give up you for the next 80 years by putting Jesus in control of all your life? What he says goes... What, what he d desires is going to be what you do in order to get to heaven when you die. Is it worth it? Is it not worth it? Thinking? Okay. Now that's going to be a hard... Have you moved, Morgan? I'm in the middle. In the middle? Okay. All right. That's honest. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, we do have a kid. Can you give all of these people a kid's quiz? There's something really interesting in there on the back, uh, but also it helps you to follow the sermon. I'm going to go up, up here. Um, oh, I forgot to ask this question. Uh, uh, kids, do you think, yes or no, is it easier to give your whole life over to Jesus for him to control your life when you're older, like when you're old, older? Yes? Yes? Okay, now, olders, elders, do you think it's easier to give your life to Jesus when you're younger? No? Yes? Hmm. Okay. Um, maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's never easy to give your life to Jesus. Well, maybe it is. I don't know. There's a decision to be made when reading the Bible passage we are going to read, and it involves a high sacrifice. And every reader will have to decide for themselves, is it worth it? We are in Mark chapter 8, verse 29. He, Jesus, asked his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. 
Why the secret? Because Jesus was, if Jesus was hailed as Messiah by a lot of people publicly, it would have brought the Roman army down on him. And because, even though Peter answered correctly, because Jesus was in fact the Messiah, Peter misunderstood the work that the Messiah came to do. And we're going to see that misunderstanding straight away. Verse 21, then, oh, 31. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering. Underline that in your mind, great suffering. And now as I read, I'm going to tell you, as Jesus is speaking, what is going through the minds of the disciples, what they were thinking. Hmm, suffering? That doesn't sound like a Messiah who's going to bring freedom to his oppressed people. That doesn't sound like a powerful leader at all. He is going to undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. Okay, that's the three groups of respected Jewish leaders who are in positions of power, and they're the people who know the Bible the best, who, who follow God the best, and that the rejection of those groups is just not a good thing. But it does fit in with my experience of the opposition that we that they have posed to Jesus as I've been following him these last three years. They're going to um, reject, reject and, oh, the Son of Man will be rejected and be killed. Okay, that's an alarming escalation. And after three days, rise again. I don't even know what rise again means. I hear those words, but I can't even figure out what you're talking about. Jesus, you're not making sense. Have you lost your mind, Jesus? You know why I know the disciples were thinking all of that? Because of the next verse. Jesus, he said all of this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, rebuke is a word that is used of Jesus rebuking the demons earlier in Mark. Silencing them. And I looked for an image where a little kid was going like this to their grandparents, rebuking their grandparents, and I didn't find any image because it, is, it was highly disrespectful, highly disrespectful. It was so disrespectful of Peter to do this. It was never done by pupil to a master teachers. And that's how we know that the disciples really thought Jesus needed an intervention because Peter took him aside. Verse 33, but turning and looking at his disciples, he, Jesus, rebuked Peter, right back at you, and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. I've got to side with the disciples on this one. Jesus' description of the messianic role stands in stark contrast to everything, everything we know about how the world works, about how human institutions and social institutions work. It stands against success. It stands against power. Jesus is not making a lick of sense. And there's one more important word in verse 31. Verse 31, then he began to teach him that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering. Must. Not only is Jesus going to suffer, Jesus must suffer. It's intentional. Suffering is critical to God's plan for the Messiah. That must means that suffering is a central truth about the identity of Jesus Christ. 
And this didn't compute for the disciples. They'd been hanging around him, watching him do all those miracles, all those healings. Can you imagine drinking wine that had been water just a second earlier and finding it exquisite? And can you imagine being in a boat that was about to be swallowed up by gigantic waves and then your fear of dying turning into fear of the one who talked to the waves and said, peace be still, and the sea calmed down? And can you imagine not having to cook and not having to plan and not having to buy, but being able to feed 5,000 people and have leftovers? Everywhere Jesus went, crowds gathered. Luke 6, 18 says, They had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all in the crowd were trying to touch him. Imagine that scene. For power came out from him and healed all of them. Did, did the healing, do you think, and all of those miracles become kind of second place or ordinary ever to the disciples? Or were they thrilled every single time? And then think about Jesus' unusual, clever, authoritative teaching that punched straight to the heart of Scripture. The people delighted in, they were amazed at Jesus' words. So confessing Jesus as the Messiah in the context of miracles and teachings seemed like a natural expression, a natural progression in thought for the disciples. And it seems like they would have gotten that point that Jesus was the Messiah a whole lot sooner. But immediately, immediately, after the confession of his true identity, Jesus turned the subject to his suffering and death. Immediately. And not just the suffering the way the prophets before him had suffered, but suffering that leads to death on a cross and then leads to resurrection. They didn't hear the resurrection part. That's obvious by what's going to come later on. They heard the killing and the death part. And so naturally Peter recoiled. Peter's rebuke of the way of the cross was a temptation to Jesus to turn away from suffering and to turn away from his path of obedience to his father. He probably, Jesus probably had many of those tests because we know that in his heart he didn't want to suffer. We know that from his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. So Jesus recognizes the temptation for what it was when he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. So the disciples are trying to absorb what Jesus is saying about his own suffering. And Jesus did not suffer the blow, but then continued with some other very bad news for the disciples. Verse 34, he called the crowd, the crowd with the disciples, all of them together, and said to them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give for their life in, order, in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of them, the Son of Man, 
will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the angels. Jesus must suffer. As a disciple, I'm trying to wrap my, my mind around the, that nugget. And then Jesus says, and you, my follower, if you're going to follow me, you must suffer. I must give up my life, lose my life for the sake of Jesus in order for me to save it. I don't like it. Don't like it. As a good American, I am against suffering. What kind of suffering do you not like? Headache? Yeah. I don't like pain. Loss. loss. I don't like grief and loss. Eating tuna. Eating tuna? If you change that into banana, I would be with you. I don't like rejection. I don't like betrayal. I don't like cancer. I don't like mental illness. I don't like depression. I don't like loneliness. I don't like bullying. I don't like hurt. I don't like greed. I don't like poverty. I don't like injustice. I don't like Alzheimer's. I don't like multiple sclerosis. I don't like violence. I'm against all of that. I'm against suffering. And as a good American, I try to reduce suffering as much as possible. I try to get rid of suffering just as fast as I can. There are pills for suffering. There is shopping for suffering. There's overeating, my favorite, for suffering. There's drugs, alcohol, a myriad of other uh, ways to avoid suffering. There is a sweet land of denial where we try to hide from ugly truths and stick our heads in the sand, we work very, very hard to avoid suffering. So I am in the line of those first disciples who heard those words. I know I am. Peter's fear of suffering led him to deny Jesus. The disciples' fear of suffering led them to run away from Jesus in his hour of need find friends they turned out to be, and I find that same fear of suffering in my own self. So let's hear the words again from Jesus in verse 34. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their and three things that Jesus is asking us to do. Number one, deny yourself. This is very radical. It is not a denial of things. Like at Lent, we can give up coffee, we can give up sugar, we can give up Mar March Madness for 40 days. What a sacrifice. <laughs> deny that thing for 40 days. This is not a denial of thing. It's a denial of someone, and that someone is me, yourself. It's a radical saying no to myself as the determiner of my goals, my aspirations, my desires. Number two, take up your cross, Jesus says. And we cannot experience the shock value of these words in our culture. We know in our heads that only the most despised, despicable disgusting, condemned criminals carried that crossbar over their shoulders to the place of execution. It was a long walk of shame, and we don't have anything like it 
in our society. So it's hard to explain what take up your cross means. In my thinking, taking up our cross means it cuts against our desire for power, for wealth, for status. Taking up our cross means humbling ourselves, keeping ourselves from pride. Taking up our cross means sacrificing ourselves out of love for another. And I struggle with figuring out what does that take up your cross mean. If your circumstances have turned against you, and you are on the lower rung of the ladder, it's much easier to be humble because you actually are and people treat you that way. But if you are highly successful by social standards around you, people praise you, they look up to you, they admire you. Taking up your cross in the midst of success is extremely difficult. Think about what does it mean for you personally to take up your cross in your school in your workplace, in your community, in your home, in our church. What does it mean for us at ABC to take up our cross together? We've been struggling with the size of our church for some time now, and it's a struggle. But the silver lining in that of being a small church is that we cannot glory in our successes and pat ourselves on the back. I was in a um, conference of pastors and the, the main evening um, preaching, and these are all pastors in the room, was by a pastor of a large church telling the pa all of us pastors to be humble. And I went out of there like, Humility at the top, where you have a mega church, sure looks different than humility in a small church. And I had been talking to the small church pastors. There were not that many of us there, honestly. I said, well, any one of us five could have added a little something to that sermon. Because we have been forced to be humble. What does it mean for us at ABC to take up our cross together? And when God gives us the increase we're praying for, will we remember the lessons learned in our forced humility and take up our crosses together then? I am telling you, you can cross that line into pride and I did this and I'm searching for this I'm going for this that is a line that we can cross in in a second because the other is not to him but cross is not the way we live in our society so let me know what you think that means because I'm I'm struggling with that one okay number three follow Jesus now, the interesting thing about this third one is that it is a present imperative. The previous two were in the past tense. It means we are to decisively deny ourselves and take up our cross. Firm, comp complete, comprehensive action. Not dabbling in it, not yes one day and no the next, but decisive action. But following Jesus is a continual process. Following Jesus means that we 
keep his teachings, follow his commandments, communicate to him in prayer, worship him, be filled with thanksgiving and love in thinking about him. It means being baptized. It means being take, taking communion. It means confessing his lordship. It means proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the earth. All these steps of following Jesus need to be taken over and over and over again in our lives. And that's a very big sacrifice. But Jesus makes a very compelling argument. The harder you try to save your life to live only for yourself, to put yourself at the center of your life, to gain for yourself, the more you end up losing your life. So do, do you understand what he's getting at when he says that? In order to save your life, you have to lose your life. Living for yourself alone doesn't make you happy. It doesn't bring you fulfillment. And eventually, no matter how much you store up, no matter how high you climb, time passes. Your children will not sacrifice themselves for you. We learned that today. <laughs> because you have had your success, and you cannot buy more time. Eventually, you are going to die, and you can't take anything with you and you will have saved your life on earth, maybe for decades, but you will end up losing it. Mark 8, verse 36 says, For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Verse 37, Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Steve Jobs, founder of Apple, was worth an estimated 5.3 billion, you can't even spend that kind of money, 5.3 billion when he died in 2011. He died young at 56, or is that old? Better not be old. He died young, we're gonna agree on that one. Brazilian soccer legend Pelé died a few months ago at the age of 89, he had all the fame and glory. Oh, so much glory in sports. Queen Elizabeth II, a lot of power, a lot of wealth, died at 96 last year. Nipsey Russell, Hustle, sorry, Nipsey Hustle, rapper, entrepreneur, made it big in the music industry, died at 33. These are rich, powerful people who made it. But no amount of power, fame, or money will buy your life back. And paradoxically, Jesus tells us, giving yourself away to others, losing your life for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of the gospel, will end up saving your life. Jesus promises eternal life to those who give their lives, lose their lives for him. I still do not like suffering, and yet, and yet, Jesus sets out a challenge for us to think like God and not like the ways of this world. So these truths help me in my suffering and help me keep my mind on what is above. Number one, God does not delight in suffering. If he did, he would not have sent Jesus to heal everybody who touched him. But suffering is necessary. 
If we were to listen to the church triumphant, it would have you believe that it is God's will for every one of us to be rich and to be healthy. But that is not the goal of the Christian life. That is the opposite of losing our lives for the sake of Jesus. Jesus' walk of obedience and trust to the cross teaches us the opposite. Suffering is a must for Jesus our Lord and also for us. And looking at suffering from the other side, having walked a long and grinding road through the thick of it, I know that suffering can bring a character that we cannot achieve any other way. As someone else put it, much of what is truly worthwhile can be accomplished only by those who are willing to trust Jesus' word that suffering belongs to God's plan. Suffering teaches us faith as nothing else can. And we need to remember that the miracle worker Jesus that we grasp onto is also the suffering Jesus to whom his father said no in his prayers for deliver for deliverance. And the faith that results from suffering, the faith that results from hanging on by your fingertips with the fear that you might not have enough faith to make it. And so you cry to God over and over and over and over again far longer than you're comfortable with that intense, long-term, long, drawn-out drawn out suffering is far superior in faith, far better of faith than the faith that results from miracles. And God has every right to say no to our prayers. I pray for miracles every day, and I'm not going to stop because God does say yes. But he has every right to say no because he knows what we do not. And a faith that sustains itself only on miracles can't take a no from God. But a faith that sustains itself on the suffering Jesus can trust God when he says no. We find that in the suffering, there is Jesus who himself is a sufferer. And this matters tremendously to have the Son of God go through the process of pain without shortcuts, that he knows what we are going through. Well, that's everything, isn't it? Jesus knows how you feel, not from the point of view of a doctor, but from the point of view of a patient sick in bed. Jesus knows how you feel, not from the height of heaven, but from the pit of earth, the deepest, lowest pit on earth. Jesus knows how you feel, not as an observer to your pain, but as a sufferer alongside with you who felt the pain himself. So is it worth it? Is suffering for Jesus, giving your life to Jesus, losing your life for Jesus, following Jesus, worth gaining eternal life. Is Jesus worth it for you? That's decision time. 
And I hope that you say yes, even if it's your first time ever saying yes to Jesus. Or if it's your umpteenth time because we find we have to say yes over and over again because we flip it so quickly. I hope you say yes to Jesus today. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, Lord of miracles, Jesus, Son of God on the cross, Jesus, obedient, obedient to your Father, even though it meant tremendous suffering, Jesus, in you, I put my faith today. You pray that prayer in your heart if it's significant, if it says what you want to say to Jesus. I put my trust in you today. And I commit myself to follow you and to lose my life for the sake of gaining eternal life. And you're going to have to help me. You have to help me a lot in this journey. So bring me back to yourself. Daily, hourly, bring me back to yourself. And confirm in me this decision to follow you through your Holy Spirit. Confirm it in me so that I may have joy in following you. In your name we pray, amen.